thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you out of uh, a verse in St. John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 10. And it'll be my text, and as well as my co-text will be John 14, 6. You don't have to turn there. Most of these verses will be on the screen. But in John 10 and 10, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And in John 14, 6, he went on to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I want to speak to you this morning from a sermon titled, I am ready to live free. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm ready. Pray with me. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your holy inspired word thank you for your holy spirit that leads us and guides us god i pray that you'd anoint me now fill me with your spirit let me say only those things that would honor you god let me say only those things that would encourage your people father i pray that you will be lord over this service god have your way let me decrease lord let you increase god i pray that you would be honored by everything that's said in this place and i ask you god strengthen our faith encourage us to freedom in jesus name Amen. I am ready to live free. Do you know that if we ever really got on with the getting on, we'd get somewhere? If we could just get on with the getting on. Because most people are stuck in a fairy tale land that I like to call going to do land. Most people are living in this mythical place called going to do land. Once I get past The summer vacation, I'm going to do this or that. Once my kids graduate, I'm going to do this. Once my spouse starts reading their Bible, I'm going to read mine. Listen, going to do is a lie and a trap. Procrastination is the lie of the devil that steals your dreams, and we need to get on with it. If you're ever going to do anything for Christ, you better do it now. The Bible says that we got to work while it is day because there's a day coming when we won't be able to work. If you don't hear anything I say, hear this. Right now is the only time we have. And right now is the only time we'll ever be allowed to serve God by faith. The scripture says without faith it's impossible to please God. Do you realize once you get to heaven you won't do anything by faith ever again? Because it won't be faith anymore. It'll be sight. Jesus told his disciples when they said, we believe in you. He said, blessed are you because you've seen and believed. But more blessed are those who have not yet seen but believe. I want you to know I'm one of those who haven't seen but believes. And this is our time to do anything that we're going to do for God. Listen, I believe time is running short. And even if time wasn't running short, my time is running short. People say, Pastor, you can't be sure that the Lord's going to come back in this generation. No, I can't give you a day or an hour. The Bible says no man can. But I can tell you this, you're not going to live forever. I mean, everybody's not going to look as good at 72 as Jeff. But when you're going to get up in there and age one day, and your life is not going to last forever. And I know this, having lived uh, 50, I'll be 53 years old next month. Having lived 53 years on this planet, I can tell you that time passes by. And procrastination will, will, will cause it to pass by without you barely noticing it because days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months, months turn into years, years turn into decades, and then you're sitting back wondering, where did it all go? How did my children now have children? How how did I go from being young to being old? Listen, one day at a time. And if you don't start paying attention to each and every day at a time, then life is going to pass you by. As a nation, we are celebrating the 4th of July this weekend, honoring the 240th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. Our nation is existing for 240 years under one document. Listen, if you don't like America, I recommend two things for you. Get out and get out quick. That's all. People say, well, Pastor, what are you going to do if Donald Trump wins the election? Are you going to continue to raise your kids in a country with a man like that leading our country? Listen, my hope is in the Lord. People say, well, what are you going to do if Hillary wins the election? You going Because all these celebrities telling these lies about, I'm going to take me and my kids. And we, well, rise up and go to Haiti. How about that? You want to do that? 
I tell you what, rise up and go to any one of these nations where these flags are, where, where we send money every month to people who live in destitute poverty and see about that. I don't know about you, but I'm patriotic from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, and I love America, and I thank God for It's not a perfect country, but I thank God for the country that I live in. 240 years ago, July 4, 1776, was the signing of the Declaration of Independence. I always like to take this week out of this year and read a little bit of it to you. It says, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind, listen to this part, requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Here's what the Declaration of Independence was saying to England. We're leaving you, and we want to declare to you why. And they said it's proper when you're going to break ties with somebody else to give them a reason why. Now, in the world we live in today, people just hang deuces and kick rocks. But back then, they said we're going to give you a formal declaration of why we are leaving you. And they went on to talk about such things as life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They went on to talk about such things as when an oppressive government is controlling me, that we need to rise up and do something about it. I want to tell you something. If you haven't studied your history, America is the only country that has ever survived over 200 years under one document. And we're going into 240 years right now. What am I telling you? America's ripe for an overthrow. Well, that could never happen in America. It already happened in America. And it happened in countries all around the world. You say, Pastor, you believe America will go on the way it's going on forever? Absolutely not. One day somebody's going to rise up and say enough's enough, and we've had too much. The problem is it's hard. We are more educated than some of our friends around the world. I see these people standing in the streets throwing cans and rocks at tanks. Can I tell you something? I've been in the United States Army. I don't care how many cans or rocks you have. You can, can they mess with a tank, Sergeant Major? One, one, one. You feel pretty comfortable rolling down the street, just one Bradley tank. I mean, just I take an APC and run folk over. I don't even need weapons on it. I mean, we, you, it's hard to overthrow tanks and smart bombs, or America would have already been overthrown. Somebody would have already rose up and said, we're not taking this anymore. But, you know, they say you can't fight City Hall. Well, you can fight City Hall, but you can't fight the United States military. But does that mean we'll continue to exist? No, it doesn't. Does our nation have problems? Yes, it does. But I still love America, and I still believe America is the greatest nation in the world, even with all the problems that we have. Everybody won't clap on that, but that's okay. There's trains and planes leaving out of here. I'll tell you the same thing. I tell people complain about heat in Florida. What did you think it was going to be when you moved here? I know it's going to be hot down here. You did? What kind of school system you bragging on from wherever you came from? Planes and trains and buses and stuff heading out every day. But I would rather stay and try to be a part of the change. But if you want change to happen in our world, it has to begin with us. And that's not a message people want to hear. People love to complain about what's wrong with America. People love to complain about what's wrong with the church. People love to complain about what's wrong with other people. People love to get offended. Well, I'm just offended that so-and-so did such-and-such. I still have yet to meet one person who is so offended with themselves that they've just rejected their own style of living. <laughs> offended by everybody else, upset by everybody else, but never offended with their own stuff. Listen, America's got problems, but America... Is still a great country, and I hope that you pray for America. God has commanded us to pray for our country, for our president, for our leaders. Please don't be part of this ignorant crowd that would dare to say he's not my president. Well, then you're not an American. We have one president in this country. Whether you voted for him or you didn't, you, you wanted everybody to pray for Bush when Bush was in office? 
He was the country's president. You want everybody to pray for Clinton when Clinton was in office? He was the Listen, it's not about who you voted for, who you didn't vote for. The Bible commands us to pray for our president. And I want you to know I pray for our president. I will continue to pray for our president. I pray for our country. I'll continue to pray for our country. And I hope you will as well. Because God can still save America. Patrick Henry made a famous quote leading up to this declaration on March 23rd, 1775. Patrick Henry said, I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Now, see, this is a patriot speaking. This, this is a trailblazer speaking. This is somebody who is willing to put his money where his mouth is and to put his life on the line for what he believed in. We don't have a lot of people like that anymore in America. We've got people who are willing to sit back and complain but never go out and be part of anything good. I don't think we should allow people to complain unless they're working for positive change on the other side. Don't just run everything down without, oh, I'm preaching better than y'all staring at me. We need some people who are willing to say, I want to be a part of the solution. Because it's already been said that the only thing necessary for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. And that's a big part of what's wrong with our country now. People just sitting back, not doing anything. People sitting back, not, not helping, just complaining. Well, should we march, Pastor? Should we rally? Should we protest? I got a couple different ideas, and it starts with us making change inside us. That's a little harder than marching. But let's, let's, let's keep listening to the word of the Lord. Our founding fathers believed and some goals and some concepts so much that they said it was worth fighting for. And I want to try to encourage you this morning to get in your mind a militant mindset that says, I am going to fight for what I believe in, not with rocks and tanks, not with natural weapons, but with spiritual weapons, because our country already has freedom Per se, our country has the freedom that they were fighting for 240 years ago. We've broken free from England. I support our troops. I support our nation. But it's not national freedom that I believe we need to be focused on. It's spiritual freedom. Jesus said in John 8, 34, that everyone who sins is a slave of sin. Look at John 8, 34 on the screen. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. I believe that one of the greatest blights on humanity's history and America in general is, is the, the sin of slavery in this country. And I think we can agree on the, the horror of that and the wrong and the ills of it and the problems that continue to linger in our society as a result of it. And we can agree that it's a horrible thing. Uh, but look what Jesus said about slavery. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. I don't want to be a slave to sin, and I don't want you to be a slave of sin. See, sin keeps us bound. Sin locks us down. Sin prevents us from having the freedom that God wants us to have. And it's not about what the government is doing to us. It's not about what one group of people is doing to us. It's even not even about what a system is doing to us. It is about what we allow sin to do to us. And that is your choice, and that is my choice on a daily basis. It was England's desire to keep the colonies bound to them through harsh laws, laws that prevented them from attaining happiness and freedom. And I'm convinced that in the very same way, sin holds people in bondage today. Sin prevents people from being the best man that they can be, the best woman that they can be, the best nation that they can be. And let me tell you something. We will not change on our own. You can't stop what you're doing on your own. If you could, you already would have. If we could get better without Jesus, we wouldn't need Jesus. If we could get better without Christianity, we wouldn't need Christianity. But I stand before you today to declare that I need Jesus and we all need Jesus to get better. If the truth be told, sitting in this room is every manner of sin that you could think about. Not just the little ones, but the big ones, as if there were little and big ones. Because that's the way we classify things. But God said, if you've broken one of my laws, you've broken them all. 
But church people love to justify their evil by saying, well, so-and-so's sin is worse than my sin, and I, at least I'm not doing that. So we, we, we come around saying that we don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't go with girls that do. <laughs> uh, but you go with girls that do other stuff. Check. Anybody hearing me? We don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't hang with those that do, but you hang out with liars and gossips. Critical and negative, hateful people, judgmental, racist people, people who don't love God and love others. You see, we've gotten comfortable as a society picking on other people's issues while avoiding our own. And the only way to affect change, see, they, the psychologists talk about light bulb moments in therapy when they can get you to finally see something when the light finally comes on and you have a moment of internal realization. And they say the largest light bulb moment a human being can have is when the light comes on and they realize I can't change anybody else, but I can sure enough change me. And you need to get that revelation. Can you complain about the ills in America? Sure. Can you point at a race that you don't like and point out difficulties inside that culture? Sure. Can you blame rich people? Sure. Can you blame criminals? Sure. You can point fingers and you can cast blame and you can create negativity all you want to, but you still at some point got to look in that mirror and realize that you're part of the problem. Everybody don't want to admit it. But we're all in it together because the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And inside church is as many people drinking, smoking, drugging, whoremongering, fornicating, pornographing, drug dealing, and all of that. And the church has been infected by the world. Jesus left his church on the earth to go and make disciples. Jesus left his church on the earth to go out and be a difference. He said, be salt and light. We're supposed to flavor our world for Jesus and brighten our world for Jesus everywhere we go. We're supposed to be the trendsetter and the difference maker. But instead of going into our community and flavoring our community, we've let the world come into the church and flavor the church. And that's why churches are more concerned with laser light shows, paid musicians, lights, camera, action. I have seen church services where they have a 10, 9, 8 countdown drum roll. And now our founding pat. What? We're not here. Hey, listen, you want to broadcast? I'm the founding pastor of this church 15 years ago, but we're not here to broadcast me. We came to represent and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. People focusing on the wrong stuff. It's a trick, it's a trap. The devil wants you focusing on other people's issues so you won't take time to get better yourself. You have one life to live. This is it. There's no reset button. You won't get this year back. You won't get this year over. You know if you're an adult in this room, you, you played the same game probably if you didn't have great parents that your children might be playing. I'm going to do better in school next year. What? What about this year? Uh-uh. Well, once, once, I, once I get into high school, I'm going to get my GPA up because that's when it counts. Every day counts. Every day counts. What the, the seeds that you plant today represent the harvest you will grow down the road. Every day counts. We need to make sure that our days are beginning to count. We, we got to get past these, these issues that we're having. We've got to break free from the curse of sin. We claim the name of Jesus Christ and then we don't live any different than the heathen live all week long. You can't tell the average church member from the average unchurch, non-church member. Listen, there, there are people playing instruments, singing on stages today and preaching in pulpits today that were in the club last night drinking and drugging and singing and playing. And the church gets quiet. It hasn't always been that way. 
And if you have been lulled to sleep by the devil to where you're willing to say, well, that's just how it is, Rev. 2016, that's just how it is. That's not people saying, well, God has changed. Listen, times change and God is Times change, but God doesn't change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God has a standard. And if you're not willing to live a standard, you need to pick a different religion. Because Christianity is about living a standard. God said, come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing. God said, you must be holy, for I am holy. God said, sin separates you from me. I told you all this. It's, it, immature children think that rules, that parents put rules on them to, to shackle them, to prevent them from having happiness. Rules are not in place to prevent us from having joy and happiness. Rules are in place to keep us on track so we can get to joy and happiness. And God has a standard. And we need to find out how to get free from this bondage, we need to find out how to get beyond these petty little things. Christians still dealing with things that you don't have to be. Listen, there's not one sin you have to be bound by. The Bible says that Jesus took your curse when he hung on the tree. Stop believing these preachers on TV. Well, I have a generational curse in my family. All my forefathers were whoremongers, so that's my generation. Stop believing that. The Bible says that the children will no longer be subject to the sins of the fathers or the forefathers, but the children will stand on their own. The Bible said no curse that was ever attached to your family will be attached to you because cursed is everyone who hung on a tree, and Jesus hung on a tree to bring Break every curse off you. Excuse making. Well, uh, that's just part of my family generational curse. No, stop accepting sin in your life and realize that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And slavery is wrong. Slavery is not God's plan for our life. The only thing we should be a slave to is to our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's the only one that deserves servitude and submission and fellowship. People being held in slavery, sins they can't break, emotions they can't shake, feelings they can't fake. You want to get better? You know you're bound. But you got strongholds in your life. So even when you tried, you failed. The Bible says in Isaiah that the anointing of God can break every yoke. And we have people stand up and talk about the anointing and break every chain. And I hear the chains falling and I'm going to take back what he stole. from. And we sing all these songs, but people are still bound and still not living successful lives for Christ. There's something wrong. There's a disconnect in the church. There's something not working in America anymore. With people getting healed in Africa, people getting raised from the dead in Africa. This ain't stories I'm hearing from strangers. These are people I know that are seeing God do miracles all around the world. And we can't get healed from a headache in America. We have sins that continue to perpetuate generation after generation. Sense of poverty, systemic poverty, welfare, degradation. And we act like we're powerless to overcome anything in America when we claim to serve the greatest and only real power that there is. Something's wrong. We believe that God can set us free. But we stay bound because Jesus said anybody who sins is a slave. To sin. The only way for us to be free is to truly get connected to Jesus. The only way for us to be free is to truly do what God has called us to do. I feel like Patrick Henry. I'd, I'd rather find free, I'd rather die than just live jacked up every day for the rest of my life. I'd rather go out today than to know there was no hope for me. But I come to declare to you this morning, there is hope for everybody who claims the name of Christ. There is deliverance in the name of the Lord for every sin and everything that has you bound. In, in our text, in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I want to talk to you how to get truly free this morning. I want to talk to you about how to really step over and cross over to being who God wants you to be. Listen, it can't be in anything other than Jesus. If you don't start with Jesus, you are out of gas. 
Allah can't get you there. Muhammad can't get you there. Islam can't get you there. Denominationalism can't get you there. Religion can't get you there. Jesus said, I'm the only way to get there. I've been telling y'all for a long time, tolerance and open-mindedness are not Christian virtues. Well, I think we ought to all be open-minded. Listen, if I ask you what your name is and you tell me your name is Sally, you don't need to be open-minded about that. You know the truth? That's a closed book. You ask me what my first name is? My first name is Scott. Well, can we talk about it? Are you closed-minded to that? Yes. You ask me what my gender is? I'm a man. You ask me what my sexual orientation is? I tell you like Tone Loke said, ain't no plans with a man. This is the 80s and I'm down with the late. It ain't the 80s anymore. Are you open-minded to that? No. Can we talk about it? Not with me. Well, what about Jesus being the only way to heaven? Surely you can't be so narrow-minded as to believe that. Surely I can. Listen, I'm still old-fashioned enough to believe the book. I'm still old-fashioned enough to believe that Jesus is the way to heaven and the only way, and you can't get to God without him. Well, my cousin says he's second niece on my auntie's side is, is, is a good person. Won't, won't, won't there be room in heaven for her? What's the word say? No one comes to the Father but by Jesus. You want to get free? You want to have the life that the God creator of all there is purposed you and put you on this planet to have? It must come through Jesus. We are a Jesus-only church and we understand there is no other way to heaven than Jesus. There is no other way to the truth than Jesus. And there is no real life outside of Jesus except pain and misery. And if you want freedom, it has to come through Jesus. Jesus went on to say in John 10, 10, he said, I came that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus is talking about two different types of life here. And so many times we only focus on one type of life in the church. Too many times we focus on the, the pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. Too many times we focus on what life's going to be like in heaven. I've had so many people tell me, well, Reverend, I'm just holding on till Jesus comes. That's not living. That's existing. God didn't leave us here just to hold on till he comes back. He left us here to be fruitful and multiply and take dominion, to be movers and shakers and dominate this thing, to be children of the most high God and have something so that the world could know there's only one God and his name is Jehovah. He said, I'm come that they might have life. Okay, in the Greek, that, that, that word is, is typifying an eternal life. That, that's saying you're going to have life forever. That's awesome. I like that better than the alternative. You need me to preach on the alternative? That's death in hell forever. That's weeping and wailing and gnashing. Well, Reverend, do you still want to tell me you believe in a literal hell? You honestly believe that a God of love will send us to a literal hell? A God of love will provide a way for you to not have to go to the place you deserve to go to because you choose to sin. Don't confuse God's love against his holiness. God is not making exception for sin. He said all sin must be punished. Jesus paid the punishment on the cross. Listen, I'm taking the payment he made because I ain't paying for this thing myself. He said I'm making a way so you can have eternal life. But then he goes on and he talks about a difference here. He says and, say and, and that you can have it more abundantly. He wants you to have an eternal life in the future. But he wants you to have an abundant life now. That's why we named the name of our church Abundant Life. I'm not just looking for heaven. That's pie in the sky and a sweet by and by. I need some help in the nasty now and now. I need, this, I need something to sustain me today. I need strength for the moment. I am a single parent. I am old. My hair is getting thin and my belly's getting big. I need some help. Y'all not hearing me. He said we can have an abundant life now. I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't even want you to answer. But think about in your mind, would you really classify the life you're living as abundant? Would you really classify the life you're living as over-the-top awesome? I'm talking about money and prestige. I'm talking about the things that matter, the things that Jesus said were the real things, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. 
Are you having an abundance of that? Because most people are busted, disgusted, and can't be trusted. Don't trust their own self. Most people know that they are so far from where they need to be. Well, what's the answer? Just sit back and keep complaining? No, if we're going to get on with the getting on, we need to get on with it. If we're ever going to get anywhere in Christ, we need to listen to the word of the Lord, and we need to start doing what God told us to do. All these people holding up Bibles before every church saying, this is my Bible, I am what it says I am. Well, I guess. When it says every man is a hypocrite. I guess. When it, when, when it talks about, you know, the sins that we really deal with. Listen, this is my Bible. And I can be who it says I can be. And I can have what it says I can have, but not live in any old kind of way. That's not going to work. God already said, I put a choice before you, a blessing or a curse, a blessing for obedience and a curse for disobedience. You want to know why America's not better than it should be? Disobedience. You, you want to blame the Republicans? You want to blame the Democrats? You want to blame white people? You want to blame black people? You want to blame illegal immigrants? You want to blame legal immigrants? You want to blame everybody else? The problem is with us. We got to get better. We got to do better so we can all be better. It's going to take a massive group effort if, if America is ever going to be what it could be. And I ain't even really trying to make America better. It ain't my goal to make America great again as if America was ever great to begin with. I don't know about previous generations. I wasn't here then. It's not my goal to live a life and make America better. It's not my goal for America to be better for white people. It's not my goal for America to be better for black people. It's my goal to get to heaven when I die and have God say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Come on in. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. I'm talking about having a real relationship with God, I'm talking about breaking free from the slavery of sin in my life. And you ought to be desirous to break free of the sin and the slavery in your own life. So how do we do it? Where do we start? Because you can't do better until you know better. You can't. That's why knowledge is power. You have to know better before you can do better. And that's why we come to church. We need to come to church and we need to listen and we need to apply the things from God's word that God shows us. We got to learn what the word says and then we've got to do what the word says because any half-baked Christian will tell you the Bible has the answers. The Bible has the answers. Here's the deal. If you're about to take a test that you have to pass to get your salary doubled on your job and they say it's an open book test, you'd be a fool not to take the book. If they say it's an open book test and on page 9 in the book that you're allowed to bring into the test is the answer key with all the right answers on it and you're welcome to use it if you choose. Or you can leave the book in your locker and you can take the test on your own. If you want that salary doubled, I don't care how smart you think you are, you better take that book and turn to page 9. We have the book. God allows us an open book life. And we need to open this book and we need to start reading the answers and applying the answers to our life. Where do we start? See, too many people trying to jump in the middle. That's no way to go through life. Too many people trying to jump ahead of where they are. That's no way to go through life. You can step in on them. Listen, I get to movies early. If I take my family to a movie, I go there early. I'm not, well, you, oh, you're not smart enough to catch up to the movie halfway through? No. And even if I am, I'm not trying to pay no $11 for half a movie. Kidding me? I, I want to start at the beginning. And the Bible says that the only way to win a crown is to run the race lawfully. And you don't have to be a track star to understand that the race starts. Listen, are you ready? At the starting line. How deep is that? You want to know where the race starts? The race starts at the starting line. You're trying to jump into the race in the middle, you're disqualified. You're trying to show up to the party late, you're going to lose. You're trying to go around the rules, you're going to get kicked out. The starting line is where we need to show up. And the Bible says in Proverbs 1, 7, a verse you should have read a couple of days ago, if you're following one proverb for each day of the month, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning 
of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the beginning. The beginning. It's the place to start. The place to start is the fear of the Lord. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know why people don't like to come to church? Well, people love to come to some churches. Churches where all they hear about is how good everything is and how you're going to get blessed and you might be the CEO now, but you might be the janitor now, but you're going to be the CEO. And they hear all that foolishness, selling hope and hype. People love to line up for those churches. People don't like to come to churches where they talk about instruction. Why? Because fools hate wisdom and they hate instruction. But the beginning of knowledge. You want to know God? The beginning. You got to start at the beginning. What is the beginning? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of this whole thing. If you want to know God, the starting gate is the fear of the Lord. If you want to be who God wants you to be, you have to fear the Lord. Proverbs 9 and 10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, not only is the beginning of knowledge, but it's the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and it's the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts. I told you, you can't do better until you know better. Knowledge is when you start knowing things. That's knowledge, the accumulation of facts. Wisdom is knowing what to do with those facts. See, a lot of people know a lot about the Bible. Before I founded this church, I ran a nonprofit organization called Mission Jacksonville, and I worked with homeless people every day downtown Springfield. Before I did that, I was vice president of a temporary staffing company where we put to work about 250 homeless people every day. And when I began to see the plight, the pain, and the pathos that the homeless people were suffering with in our city, I decided to start a ministry to try to overcome some of that. But what I found in the homeless people in downtown Jacksonville that were working daily work, daily pay, that would work all day long to get about a $24 check that they spent in the parking lot before they ever even left the parking lot with the dope man, what I learned from that crowd of men was there's a lot of people that know a lot about the Bible living on the streets of Jacksonville. You want to find people that know the law? Go find somebody who's been locked up for a long time. Well, a lot of jailhouse lawyers and there's a lot of homeless preachers. But listen, just knowing without doing will get you nothing. Knowing without doing will get you nothing. Well, I know what I need to do. The Bible says the devils know, and they tremble. Why? Because they're smart enough to know they're not doing anything with what they know. You got to move into knowledge, but then you got to go past knowledge to wisdom. But guess what the beginning of both is? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, if I asked every person in this room, except long-standing ALCF folk who've heard me tell them this before. But if I asked every person in this room that hadn't heard me talk about the fear of the Lord, if I asked every person in this room, what is the fear of the Lord? Let me tell you the answers we get because I've been doing this for a long time, and I ask these questions of people everywhere I go just to make sure I'm still on track, just to make sure I'm not crazy. If I ask people what's the fear of the Lord, here's the responses I hear. Reverence, a healthy respect, to be in awe of him, to, 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 to view him like a father that, that, that it should be honored and revered. That's what, listen, all those things sound good, but if you, that, that's, that's just man-made theory. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have those concepts to God, but that's not what the fear of the Lord is. You, you, you think that's the fear of the Lord. You didn't get your definition from the Bible. I came today to give you a definition from the Bible. Proverbs 8.13 says, the fear of the Lord is... Here's a definition coming. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Semicolon. Pause on the punctuation. When you read scripture, you need to pause on the punctuation so you can digest what you've read. These punctuation marks, these commas, these semicolons, they give us cause to pause. The fear of the Lord is to have a healthy respect of God. That's not what it says. The fear of the Lord is to revere and reverence God. No, that's not what it says. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Now, if... A plus B equals C, then B plus A equals C. Are you following me? Y'all don't know math. Let me go in a different direction. <laughs> if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowing God and how to do with what you know about God, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom, and the fear of the Lord, Bible definition, this is what the fear of the Lord is according to God, is hating evil, then what is the starting point 
for knowing God and being wise? Three people. Let me, get, let me just give you the answer so we can move on. If you want to get in the starting gate of Christianity, you can't get there any other way than hating evil. Well, Reverend, we ain't supposed to hate nothing. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we're supposed to hate evil. Well, does do that mean we're supposed to love the sin and hate the sin of the love and hum the sin? What does that mean? It means hate evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. God said pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the perverse mouth do I hate. David was the closest man to God in the Old Testament. David had a unique relationship with God in the Old Testament. The Bible says of David, all his ways pleased the Lord and the Spirit never left him. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come on people and lead people. In the New Testament, Jesus' uh, promise was that the Spirit would live inside us and never leave us. But in the Old Testament, the Spirit would come on people and lead people. David was different. The Spirit never left David. And David said, I do hate those things that you hate and how I hate them with a perfect hatred. If you read that today in 2016 and this tolerant, broad-minded, anything goes inclusive, well, ain't my job to judge nobody. Listen, let me just go ahead and hit you with some knowledge on judging folk. Every lost person knows two words in the Bible. Judge not. Don't the Bible say judge not? Don't judge not. Least you be judged. Then they want to throw least or lest you be Listen, it goes on to say... Don't do that while you got a big giant boulder in your eye. Don't be judging somebody with a speck in their eye when you got a log in your eye. But it says get the log out of your eye and then go do what? Help your brother get the speck out of his eye. Don't judge while you're walking around blind. The Bible says a spiritual person judges all things. Oh, this old crap, judge not. Listen, if you don't learn how to put a difference between what's right and wrong, you're out of gas being a Christian. We're going to see that in a minute. The Bible says the fear of the Lord. This is the definition. If you don't learn anything today, you need to learn what is the fear of the Lord. Let's, let's try to see if we can get it together based on the Word of God. Church, what is the fear of the Lord? What is the fear of the Lord? To hate evil. That is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is to hate. If you study the phrase, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord promises life, success, prosperity, and riches. What is the fear of the Lord? To hate evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Do you think, now let's just, let's just pretend like it's Wednesday night Bible study, open discussion, interactive format. Do you think that the average American hates evil? Can't hate what you tolerate. Can't hate what you play with. You can't hate what you pay money to, to, to engage in. You can't hate what you celebrate. Okay, so the average American doesn't hate evil. All right, do you think the average church-going person hates evil? No. Let, let me just go on past that. Do you think the average pastor standing in pulpit drawing money from church folk hates evil? No. Why do you think there's so much scandal in the pulpit? You can't hate evil and be screwing half the boys in your church. Read the news. You can't hate evil and be sexing up the women in your church, worship leader. You can't, you can't be doing all these things in the pulpit and say, but I'm the man of God. It's lying a hypocrite. With no standard. No fear of the Lord. How do you know if you have fear of the Lord? Well, do you hate evil? Well, how do you know if you hate evil? I already told you, you don't hate what you celebrate. And you can't hate with that which we, with which you participate. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Listen to how God said it in the New King James Version. To fear the Lord is to hate evil, period. So we understand that's God's definition of what it means to fear the Lord. And then God said, I hate arrogant pride, evil conduct, and perverse speech. You realize it's hard to hang around somebody when you love what they hate? You don't believe me? Go on and go to a Florida State Seminole party if you can find one. I don't know if they got enough money to have parties, but I don't, I don't hang out with that crowd. But if they, you know, if they borrowed money from somebody and had a party, show up wearing a gator jersey. 
and you talk the whole time you're in somebody's house. They got the flag on, on, hanging off the off the, the eve of the house. They got the bumper sticker, the special license plate. They're all geared up in garnet and gold. Go in there and, and just try to be in the house with your constant berating them of how much you hate Florida State. I don't think you make it through the game. You might either be asked to leave or thrown out. You cannot love what the person you claim to love hates and get along properly. The Bible says two can't walk together unless they're agreed. The reason why so many people can't walk with God is because they don't hate what God hates. The reason why so many people, I'm talking about saved people, sanctified, fire, baptized people. I'm talking about people who are going to go to heaven but who have struggle in this life. Guess how many people in this room have struggle in this life? Can we be that honest? Every single person in this room has struggled in this life. What is the answer? The answer is in the book. Who is our help? God is our help. But we can't walk with God unless we agree with him. You got you to love what he loves, and you got to hate what he hates. And he said, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Now, and if I would have started this message out by saying, do you think God wants us to hate? I'd have got a whole bunch of, oh, no, Reverend, we're called to be loving. That's the motto of our church, Pastor Scott. Love God and love people. We don't hate. Well, if I'd, if I'd have started this message by saying, do you believe God hates anything? Oh, no, Pastor. God's a loving God. He's a good God. God. God loves everything. Well, you need to get your mind right, and you need to believe the Bible over what you've been taught. You need to believe the Bible over what your heart wants to tell you. You need to believe, believe the Bible over what society wants to tell you. God said he hates arrogant pride. He hates evil conduct. And he hates perverse speech. This is the word of the Lord. This ain't something I made up and had a dream about and telling you some, some vision I had after eating hot Mexican food. This is what the Bible says in black and white. God hates pride. He hates evil conduct. And he hates perverse speech. But you know, Christians line up and pay $11 a ticket and take their children to go see evil conduct and perverse speech. Oh, you saying we shouldn't go to movies, Pastor? You do what you got to do, but I'm asking you, can you really hate something that you pay to, to participate in? Can you really hate something that you laugh at while it's going on? Well, we're a long way from it. We came, many of us came from a generation that hated evil. Many of us came from a generation that was shockable. Grandmama and them, great-grandmama and them. I told you before, they only viewed Elvis from the waist up because he was doing this, and they thought it was vulgar and perverse. And they, you can't show that on TV. There's children watching. Do you see what children are watching on today's TV that, that entertainers are doing? Hey, trust me, it's a whole lot past that. A whole lot past that. Doesn't shock anybody. Well, it's just how life is. It's just how it goes. But we tolerate it. Why? Because we don't hate it. Do you know if you ever consider what sin cost God, it would change the way you view sin? Do you know if someone broke in your home and tied you down and killed everybody in your house that you care about in front of you and laughed at you while they did it, and then on some technicality they got off and they lived free and they moved into the house next to your house, do you know you wouldn't invite them to the barbecue? You would have a very definitive feeling against that person. Why? Because they cost you something. I want you to know God has a very definitive feeling about sin because it cost Jesus. It cost God something. It killed his son. And God hates evil. God hates pride. God hates evil conduct. And God hates perverse speech. And it's time for the people of God that claim that they want to be blessed of See, everybody wants to be blessed of God. I want the anointment. I want to flow in the Holy Ghost. I want signs and power. Holy Ghost power. You can't walk with God if you don't agree with God. His word said two can't walk together unless they agree. His word says you got to put a difference between the clean and the unclean. One, one theologian said wherever there is an awe of God, there is a hatred for sin. Wherever there is an awe of God, there is a hatred for sin. You realize if you start getting close to God, every person that ever came 
face to face with a theophany, an appearance of the divine. Every person that came face to face with an awareness that God was in the room, they didn't run around, jump up and down, screaming in tongues and shake hands and want to have conversation. They fell down and basically most of them had the exact same statement. Have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. See, when God shows up, sin becomes manifest. When God shows up, any time that there is an awareness of God, there is a hatred for sin. They, they told Jesus, depart from me. When Moses came down off the mountain and he had been in the presence of God, there was such a glow on him that the people said, don't come close to us. Put a, put a blanket over you. We don't even want to see you. Matter of fact, we're not going up there. You go up there for us because we're not cleaning up. They knew. You can't take this dirt and go into that cleanness. But in America, do what they want to do, say what they want to say, dance how they want to dance, play how they want to play. All in the name of Jesus. Saturday night, getting turned up. Sunday morning, let's get our praise on. Do you realize there's more to it than that? There's an approach to God. God laid out a temple and told his people, this is how you come to me. There was a basin on the outside that people had to stop and wash up in. That's a metaphor. We still got to get cleaned up to approach God. There was a systematic approach to God whereby no, just any old body can't rush up in on God and say, hey, dog, we're hanging out today. doesn't work that way. God is holy. Leviticus 10.10 says that you may distinguish between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean. In the New Living Translation, it says, but you must distinguish between what is sacred and what is common, between what is ceremonially unclean and what is clean. Do you realize there's too much disagreement in the church today about what holy is and what unholy is? It's not up to me to decide what is holy and what is unholy. It's up to God. It's not up to bishops and apostles and church folk to decide what is holy and what is unholy. God has already decided what is holy and what is unholy. And he went on to say in Leviticus that if you refuse to put difference between the clean and the unclean, that God will refuse to accept you. Because he said, if you don't separate between the holy and the unholy, he will see your soul as abominable to him. You know, the only time Christians used the word abomination in 2016, let's talk about it. The only time Christians used the word, well, that's an abomination to God. What are they talking about? That's the only thing. That's the only thing I ever hear anybody say. Well, homosexuality is an abomination unto God. Oh, well, you, you heard somebody say that. Good. I'm excited. You don't know where it is in the Bible, but, you know, at least you, you, you using a, you know, a multisyllable word. We're proud of that. Homosexuality is not the only abomination before God. So calling yourself a Christian but not putting a difference between holy and unholy says is an abomination to God. We want to walk up on God and say our prayers and we ain't put difference between holy and unholy. You want to walk up to God. Listen, if you're raised in a decent home, you've been out playing in the, in the yard, you come into, you come into mama's house, grandmama's house, walking on her white Why do they have white carpet? That's bad planning. Well, I have white carpet. You're talking about me? Hey, if the shoe fits, put salt and pepper on it. You couldn't walk in there with mud all over your feet. You come into mama's table with, with mud and dirt on your hands all the way up to your elbows and sit down to eat. You can't come to the table of somebody important unless you wash up. Christians trying to come to God's table every day, unclean. Christians trying to come to God's table wanting blessing, unclean. Christians trying to come to God's table refusing to put difference between holy and unholy. And God said, if you refuse to put difference between holy and unholy, I will curse you and you will be an abomination unto me. Ezekiel 44, 23. God said the biggest sin of his preachers were that they teach my people 
He said that they, they, that they must teach people the difference between holy and unholy and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean because the biggest problem that was going on in that generation was that the pastors were no longer teaching a difference between what's clean and what's unclean. And God said, they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the unholy and cause them to discern between the clean and the unclean. Is what you're watching on TV this week clean or unclean? You decide. Is what you're listening to on the radio clean or unclean? Let me tell you something. If you got to turn it off when anybody else comes in, can you watch that? I've, I've told you I've seen it so many times. Don't straighten up for me. Straighten up for the Lord. I walk up to people, cars in the parking lot. I see them change, scurrying to change radio station. I, I, I walk up to people, stop by their house, see them hide a cigarette behind their back. I walk up to people's house, see them take a beer can and throw it over their roof, shooting beer out every, every revolution that comes. Like, you ain't got to make them changes for me. You comfortable doing that when I'm not here? Do it when I'm here. But understand, the Lord is always present. It's too deep for y'all. It's too honest for y'all. That's why America's not blessed. It's not because of the black man. It's not because of the white man. It's not because of the illegal immigration. It's not because we need to build a wall. It's not because rich people don't pay enough taxes. It's not because poor people don't pay taxes. It's not because we need more Republicans or because we need more Democrats or independents. America is not blessed because people who claim the name of Jesus Christ will not put a difference between what is holy and what is unholy. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of even knowing God. You want to know God? You got to fear the Lord. What's the fear of the Lord? You better learn it. You better learn it because you're accountable to it. Because God expects it. We don't have to be slaves to sin. I believe the founding fathers of this country were right. I believe we've been given certain unalienable rights by God. I believe he wants us to have life, liberty, and to pursue happiness. But the life he wants us to have is a spiritual life. And we can't have a spiritual life chasing natural things. We can't have a spiritual life holding on to our past, finding our identity in anything other than Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Psalm 144, 15, happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Well, Lord means boss, master, controller. It signifies subservience. It signifies fellowship. It signifies obedience. And the Lord says you've got to hate evil. Is the Lord your God? Mm, maybe intellectually. Maybe on a deep down level, but not on an everyday. You're staying away from what he said, stay away from. If, if you're a parent to a child and you tell your child to stay away from something because it hurts you, you're not going to be happy if they're playing with that thing. My wife, my wife died 10 years ago of cancer. She left me with a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Jacob has told me many times, he said, Dad, I wish cancer was a person so I could kill it. He said, well, God, I don't want you to hate like that, son. It's not people. God does want us to hate sin. See, my family don't love cancer because cancer hurt us. If somebody did something heinous to your family, you don't love that because it hurts you. My brother, I have an older sister and a younger brother. My younger brother died on Christmas Eve 2001 in a motorcycle wreck. My mom don't like motorcycles. She don't want me to have a motorcycle. Anybody, can you figure out why my mother doesn't want me to have a motorcycle? She lost a child already to a motorcycle. My sister doesn't like motorcycles because she lost her brother to a motorcycle. Okay, so we don't like cancer. We don't like motorcycles in my family. How do we feel about sin? We all right with it? Well, it's funny. He's funny on TV. Saying vile and vulgar things, perverse speech, evil conduct, proud and arrogant. God hates those things. And God said the very beginning for us to be who he wants us to be is the fear of the Lord. And he told us that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord, beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is 
to hate evil. Pride, evil conduct, and perverse speech. The church is busy playing with things it has no business playing with, and that's why there's no power in the church. If the church got holy, the community would change. All you have to do is read the history of the church. Read the history, the turn of the century, when people were living holy, when revival was sweeping through cities and bars and whorehouses were closing down and people were falling down, repenting of sin and getting right with God. Why? Because people started to put a difference between what was holy and what was unholy. You realize that book burning is biblical? All, 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 all these liberal people want to talk about the squelching of information. Listen, there's certain books you don't need to have in your house. Read the book of Acts. They went and they burnt everything they had that was connected to false gods and idolatry. I grew up in Christ in the 80s. They told us to do it, so I did it. They said, bring all your non-Christian music. We're going to burn it at the church tonight. Brought it. Burn it all. Backslid, bought it all back. Burn it again. Why? Because if your music is filled with arrogant pride, singing about evil conduct, or having perversion of speech in it, that's not good for you as a Christian. You ought to hate that. If your lifestyle exhibits pride, perverse speech, or evil conduct, that's not good. You need to hate that. We need to put a standard in place of holiness where we put a separation line between what's acceptable and what's unacceptable because this politically correct, tolerant society that we're living in is destroying the holiness of God's church. And the Bible says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. The very beginning to being who God wants you to be is fearing Him. You can't fear Him without hating evil. Pride will keep you from being all God wants you to be. You can be proud in different ways. You don't have to be as proud as somebody else just to be proud. Because somebody else is not the measuring stick. Jesus is the measuring stick. And he had no pride. He didn't defend himself. He didn't open up his mouth to declare what he should get. He didn't talk about his national pride of being a Jew. He didn't find pride in his race. He didn't find pride in his accomplishment. He didn't hold on to hurt and pain. He didn't badmouth anybody. He just humbly did what God set before him to do. The Bible says if you want to be proud of anything, if you want to glory in anything, glory in the cross and the love that God has for you. Not hating sin will prevent us from knowing God. In the way he wants us to know him. You can't hate sin and participate in evil speech, evil conduct, being proud. See, let me close by telling you this. The church has moved away from our purpose and into folly. This is what the church crowd does. They hate other people's sin. They hate other people's sin. They hate what the system is doing to their people. They hate what the system is, is doing to their taxes. They, they, they hate seeing the pornographer. They, hate the, they, they find other sins out there to point at that they hate. But Christians hate the sin in their own life. See, that's the difference. Church folk want to run around pointing fingers at other people, saying what's wrong with everything. Want to run around pointing fingers, telling other people if they'd get better, if they'd get better, if they'd get better. Well, when do we get better? Because that's the only person you can control is you. The only change you can affect is in you. And then maybe somebody will see the change in you and want what you have. And then they'll change. And then maybe somebody will see the change in the two of you and want what y'all have. And they'll change. You see, Jesus took 12 people, and the Bible says they turned the world upside down. But they had to get changed first. And they couldn't walk around beating their chest about how great fishermen they were, or what a great tax collector they were, or how they were better because they were Jewish, or how they were uh, oppressed because they were Jewish. 
they found their meaning in Christ. And they exalted the name of Christ. And God used them to bring about this religion we call Christianity. God is still holy. And he is still demanding that we put a separation between sin, between holy and unholy. Sin separates you from God. You shouldn't be happy about it. Sin prevents you from having joy. You shouldn't be happy about it. Well, I like it. Then you don't understand it. It's no different than a fat person being depressed about being fat and grabbing Doritos. Well, they comfort me. No, they add to your misery because there's your problem already. And we think that we're going to cure our depression with more sin. We won't. That's our problem. We think we're going to cure our poverty with more sin. We won't. That's our problem. We think we're going to cure the ills of racism and, and, and difficulty inside our nation. We won't. We won't cure that with more sin and complaining and arguing and division. That's our problem. We got to hate evil. We got to put a line that says this is holy and we stand for holy. And all that over there is not for us. God said if you refuse to put a difference between what I say is clean and what I say is unclean, I will curse you and you will be an abomination unto me. You wonder why we can't get our prayers answered? You wonder why we can't get blessed? You wonder why we can't see the people we care about get healed? Because we won't put a difference between right and wrong. We've blurred the lines. We've accepted too much. We've trampled on God's grace. And we've despised the blood of Jesus. Because we refuse to live holy. I'm going to tell you. I want to do better. I hope you want to do better. But wanting to is only a start. Don't get stuck in going to do land. Don't convince yourself you're going to do better one day. Don't convince yourself one day you'll start tithing, one day you'll start giving. Don't convince yourself one day you'll start reading the Bible. Don't convince yourself one day you'll start praying and living holy. The Bible says this is the day the Lord has made. This is the day the Lord has made. God said that if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as they did in the day of provocation. Don't provoke the Lord against you by knowing what to do and stiffening your neck and saying, well, not me, not today. Let all who name the name of Christ, the Bible says, depart from iniquity. We got to know better. We got to do better. We got to get in the starting block and start knowing God. We got to get knowledge and we got to get wisdom. And it begins with the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is to hate sin. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Help us, God, to accept hard truth. Help us, God, to put a difference between what's right and what's wrong. And help us to stand on your side. You commanded us to come out from among them and be separate. And we've intermingled with the world. You commanded us to be holy as you are holy. And we have stepped over your line of holiness. God, I ask you to forgive me. Forgive us. We know better, God. Help us to do better. You are holy. And you are awesome. And God, I ask you to raise us up to honor you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org. Until next time, we pray that you will live abundantly.